Welcome to Downtown Community Church. My name is Ben. I'm the pastor here, and we are going through a series right now um, called the Sermon on the Mount. We were real creative, and it's going. It's based on the Sermon on the. Oh, look at you guys! You're so smart. Um, so yeah, it's, it's based on the Sermon on the Mount. If you're not, you know, super familiar with the Bible, and kind of give you a little bit of background to what the Sermon on the Mount was about. Um, it was essentially, it was, well, it's about a ton of different subjects, but it was Jesus' most famous sermon, um, mostly because it was Jesus' most well-recorded sermon. In fact, in, in all of the gospel accounts, and the gospel account is essentially um, a kind of an account of Jesus' life. There's four of them. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the New Testament, which is all kind of like Jesus and going forward. Um, there's four accounts, and Jesus, you know, kind of had some scripture or some, some, some of these teachings are recounted in, in, in most of those gospels, most of those accounts. People would, people would say it back because the idea was probably that Jesus didn't just give the sermon one time. This was kind of a repetitive thing. Um, and in fact, when Jesus gave this sermon, there's a couple you know, interesting qualifiers to it. Number one is that when Jesus gave this sermon, he didn't see like a huge crowd. It wasn't a Sunday morning. It wasn't a mix of like a bunch of people who, you know, every time we gather together, we know that there's a bunch of you who you're here and you believe in Jesus and you've given your life to Jesus. And there's also a big group of you that are kind of trying to figure this whole faith thing out, figure this whole God thing out, figure this whole Christianity thing out. And we love the fact that you're here and that you show up every single Sunday and that you want to know more and you feel like it's a place that you can feel comfortable coming and learning. Um, but when Jesus Jesus gave this sermon specifically. He gave it to a group of people who had decided to follow him with their life. They had decided that they were going to be a disciple. That They decided that he was a teacher worth following. He was a pastor worth listening to. He was a God that they, in fact, believed was the Son of God, was the Messiah. And so when Jesus spoke, when Jesus spoke, when Jesus spoke, he was speaking primarily to his disciples. And here's kind of the cool thing, and we celebrated this last week. Um, Jesus talked last week a lot about the law. Um, and and these were a group of, this is a group of people who had decided that they weren't all about the law. And what that meant is that there was this idea in religion. There was this idea as it related to your relationship with God and my relationship with God that basically I would try to perform my way into God's good graces. I would try to, you know, be good enough. I would try to be moral enough. I would try to basically be a good person. And maybe at the end of the day, if I'm a good enough person, then I can be in God's good graces. But this was a group of people who had decided they can't good their way into God's good graces. In fact, Jesus, if you were here with us last week, you know this. Jesus, in the end of Matthew chapter 5, gives this list of, of just basic moral, moral gen, uh, framework, this sense of morality that none of us can keep. He said stuff like, hey, you've heard it said don't murder, but I'm telling you, don't be angry at people, <laughs> which most of us would say, unless they cut me off in traffic, you know. And then, you know, he said stuff like, you know, you've heard it said don't commit adultery, but I'm saying don't even look lustfully. You don't even think lustfully because, you know, thinking that, looking that, all that stuff, that, that's adultery of the heart. <laughs> We'd say, whoa, 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 Jesus, that's just, it's a little bit intense. And at the end, he goes about six, you know, different genres of morality. And at the end, he says, hey, by the way, so if you're wondering what you need to do to earn your way into God's good graces, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, which none of us can do. And for many of you, at the end of yesterday, our last Sunday service, um, we gave an invitation to say, hey, if you for the first time, maybe ever, maybe the first time as an adult, want to the, come to the conclusion that you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, that you need to trust the fact that you can't earn your way into God's good graces, but God provided a way. Oftentimes in church where we say this, we say, you know, we couldn't, you know, make ourselves good enough, so, you know, there had to be a way to make us right with God. Here's the interesting thing. I was thinking about this this week. God didn't have to. You ever think about that? Like, God is sufficient enough in himself without a relationship with me. God's not like a needy God that's like, oh, where is Ben, you know? He didn't have to, but he chose to. 
He chose to make a way. He chose to provide salvation. He chose to bridge the gap between us and him. And many of you, many of you, many of you last week put your, put your faith, your hope, and your trust in Jesus for your salvation and not yourself for salvation. So what we're going to do is we want to just start off the service by giving a round of applause because it was a phenomenal thing for those of you who did that. All right, pause. That was a really, really weak version of like, hey, people just went from death to life. So it's like, okay, that's cool, you know. All right, so you're going to have eternity in heaven. That's cool. You know what I mean? It's, so, all right, so here's, we're, we're going to do that again. I'm going to get, you know, I guess maybe more excited. I'm, I'm going to take that as my fault, okay? It's not your fault. You're wonderful people. You're so excited. It's unbelievable. But, so let me, let me, let me kind of, you know, repitch my voice in maybe a way that's, that's doing it. So anyways, so last week we had a bunch of people who decided that they were going to go from death to life, that they were going to not place their own hope and their own salvation in themselves, that they were going to tr- trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ when he died on the cross, provided a way when he didn't have to have, make a way, and that they weren't all anymore, you know, confined to the law, but they have a relationship with God. And because of that, they have eternity with heaven. And because of that, we're going to celebrate so on the count of three, we're going to celebrate. One, two, three. I knew you guys could do it. You're wonderful people. So anyways, so here's the idea. So here's the idea. So in Matthew 6, and here's, here's why that's all relevant. In Matthew 6, Jesus is going to say some things that are very specific to people who have placed their faith, have placed their hope, and have placed their trust in God. And when he says, and what he says, let me just tell you, let me just tell you. The longer you've been a Christian, the longer you've been a Christian, the more susceptible you are to this. The longer you've been a Christian, the more susceptible you are to this. And in fact, in fact, for many of you who are unsure about Christianity, there's a good chance that maybe this isn't the predominant reason, but perhaps this is one of the reasons why you're skeptical about church, why you're skeptical about God, and why you're skeptical about Jesus. And here's, here's, here's what Jesus is going to address. He's going to address hypocrisy. He's going to address hypocrisy. Now again, this is critical because if you're a Christian, this is for you. Because you signed up for the team. You've decided that you want a relationship with God. You've decided that you're going to let God come in. He's going to be the Lord of your life. And when he talks, he's going to talk about hypocrites. But when he talks about hypocrites, he doesn't talk about hypocrites in our cultural context and thought of hypocrisy. Because when you and I talk about hypocrites, often what we mean is someone who lives a double life. You know, someone who, you know, oh, you know, Jesus, 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 and then, you know, Wasted, wasted, wasted. You know, that's kind of like our view of, you know, and, you know and, and, and if you're talking to high school ministry, it's like, oh, Friday night, you know, Saturday night. You're in college. It's like Tuesday afternoon, you know, St. Patrick's Day, whenever, you know, Cinco de Mayo. It's like, I love the Mexican, you know, holy cow, tequila. Anyways, so that's kind of, you know, we, that's, that's what we think, we think of hypocrisy. But here's what's interesting. When Jesus talked about hypocrites, and this is huge, when Jesus talked about hypocrites, he wasn't talking about people who were living a double life. With that, 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 he was just talking about, like, you're sinful, stop. You know, if you decided that you're going to follow Jesus, then stop doing that. But when he talked about hypocrites, here's who he was talking about. He was talking about people who had the outer reputation, the external reputation of being an incredible God follower. He was talking to people who had this external appearance of being good, of being moral, but internally didn't have the relationship to substantiate or to go along with that external appearance. He was talking to people who you and I would probably look at and say, they're the solid people. Those are the people who we would all look at, you'd look at, you know, they're maybe the person in your family, maybe they're the person in your, you know, your workplace, you know, your, your boss, your employee. They're the people that's, you know, that, that, that's your friend, that's in your fraternity, your, your sorority. 
that you look at and said, you know what, there's a lot of people out there, but they have their stuff together. They actually live it. They actually live it. They're the people who you would think, you know, that those people should be the worship leaders, the pastors, the community group leaders. And Jesus often looked at them and said, you're so hypocritical. You're so hypocritical. And here's why. Because Jesus saw what we didn't see. And Jesus saw the heart. And Jesus knew that it was going to be a temptation for everyone who considers themselves a God follower. And who has had the inward transformation that becomes an outward appearance of godliness. That at some point, at some point, your outward presentation of your religion, your outward presentation of your relationship with God, at some point was going to be tempted to be motivated by what other people see and not your personal relationship with God. In fact, it's this weird thing. Because the idea here isn't that, hey, you're a Christian, nobody should know about it. In fact, a, a, a half a chapter ago, Jesus stopped and said, hey, let me, let me tell you. You should be like a city on a hill. You should be like a light in a house. And no one, you know, everybody can see the city on a hill. No one lights a lamp and, you know, puts a bowl over it. But it should be a light that everyone can see and that they might see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. But the problem is, the problem is, is when that happens, when that happens, when what happens internal, that transformation that happens internally starts to work its way to the external of your life, you and I face a unique temptation as Christians that the external motivators, what people see, the relationship, and honestly, the reputation that you've developed as a Christian starts to become the primary motivator for your relationship with God. Not your personal intimacy. And Jesus looked at these people and said, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. In fact, in chapter 6, verse 1, he starts off by saying this. He says, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Now, again, this is, this, this is for the believers. This is for the people who have given life. So, so you're going to hopefully be, become a righteous person. You're going to hopefully start to become the person that God's called you to be. Because the idea is, as the, goose, the, goth, the, goosebol, the gospel takes roots in your life, then what happens is that starts to work its way out. And it's not, again, we talk about this all the time. It's not an obligation. It's not, you know, you have to. It's that God starts to change the internal motivators in your life to want to be more godly. You don't have to white-knuckle your moral, white-knuckle your will. Hopefully, maybe I can be a good enough person. But actually, as you begin an intimate relationship with God, that starts to work itself out. It starts to become evident in your life. He says, but let me just tell you, as that becomes evident in your life, be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then what you will have, or for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he's kind of says, okay, let me give you the big uh, blanket statement that we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about. And he's going to give us three specific examples of things that you ought to do. He's going to give us three specific examples of things that ought to describe you if you're a Jesus follower. He says, but let me just tell you, when you do this, you're going to face a unique temptation. And you're going to face a unique temptation for this public reputation that you've developed to exceed this personal, intimate relationship. That you ought to have. And so be careful. Because this is the temptation. Here you want to say example one. So thus, or for example. When you give to the needy. Sound no trumpet before you. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. That they may be praised by other. 
Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. In other words, he's saying, okay, so let me just start with this one. As it relates to generosity, as it relates to being others-focused, as a Christian, here, here is a basic tenet of faith. You ought to be a generous person. The idea of generosity to the Christian life is simply a response, like Mark talked about. It's a response that God has given us so much in the person of Jesus, that Jesus is the foundation for generosity, that God, when he didn't have to, gave poured out, gave of himself, gave his son. And as you're a Christian, you ought to be a generous person. You ought to love other people that you don't necessarily have to love. You ought to give to things that you don't necessarily have to give to. You ought to help people. You ought to do things. You ought to go places with the idea and the intent of serving. But when you do, let me just tell you, don't do it so other people see you. Because if you do that, God would say, or Jesus said, you've received your reward in full. And here's your reward. That everybody saw you. And so congratulations. You are a good person. He said, no, no, no. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be done in secret. And your father who sees in secret, will reward you. In other words, when you give, when you serve, when you help, the purpose isn't that you give and you serve and you help so you can be seen by other people and everybody says, oh my gosh, they're just so spiritual. Are you kidding me? I mean, they get up on Saturday morning, they go to Project Tallahassee, it's unbelievable. The point is, is out of the intimate relationship between you and God, flows those things. But you're going to face the temptation. And I face the temptation. And we all face this temptation. That what we do, what we do is motivated by who sees what we do. What we do is motivated by who sees what we do. I kind of rewrote some of this or kind of rethought through some of this in a way that I think made a lot more sense to us and what we go through. Because none of us, I mean, you read this and it's like, okay, no one goes and like, you know, the giving plate comes around and nobody like pulls their trumpet out and like toots their trumpet. And it's like, you know, I'm giving right now. Everybody, look, look at your boy, he's giving. Or like, you know, you're like serving, you know, someone who's in a marginalized community. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, hey, you know, Text group, Snapchat, you know, here, here's what I'm doing. You know, oh my gosh, everybody, you know, we don't, we don't have the, the, the trumpet, all that kind of stuff. But here, here's what he would say. Okay, so when you're serving people, when you're on your mission, mission trip, don't simply go on your mission trip and then go back and have your Facebook profile pic completely changed because you're so others focused. And we can tell they're poor because look at you. You look so affluent in your picture. He says, come on, come on, come on. When you're, when you're serving the needy in the community, when you're serving the poor in the community, it's not just so that you can you know, post it on Instagram. It's not so that you can just do all this stuff so that everybody else sees you. When you give, when you give, you shouldn't, you know, say, you know, like, you know old school churches do this because we don't do this that much anymore, but you have that guy that everybody knows is the rich guy in church and the basket's going around and he's just getting, he's like, makes a production out of how he writes his check. You know, he's just, mm, mm. He like does a triple loop when he does that, you know, and he starts doing this, and he's, and he's like, oh, and he rips it off and gives it. Basically, hold on, that's not the point. He says, that's not the point. In fact, as a Christian, as a Christian, the way that you work, the way that you work ought to be that when you serve, when you help somebody, when you love somebody, when you give to somebody, when you're generous in whatever vehicle that generosity makes its way through, 
That should be done out of the overflow of a relationship with God and not for the external purpose so that people could see you. Not so that you can go back to your community group and say, guys, man, this week I saw this guy on the side of the street and I gave him money. I felt, man, I just felt like Jesus. We make it so spiritual. He said, no, that's not the point. This should be so personal to you that it's almost like your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. He goes on and he says, okay, let me give you another example. He says, in prayer, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And truly I say to you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, here's what's interesting. When Jesus talks about prayer, I, mean, I, want, I would love to do an entire sermon on just this, you know, thought, this thought about prayer. But he says, okay, so let me tell you, let me tell you, first thing about prayer, because I know you can pray anywhere, you can do all that stuff. But let me tell you, the first thing that he talks about prayer is the location of your prayers. Isn't that interesting? He could talk about anything. He says, okay, so when you pray, when you pray, when you pray, I want to get your mind right first. When you pray, I want you to you know, pray specifically this way, which he's about to. He says, before I say that, when you pray, I want to talk about the location of your prayers. Before you pray, I want you to go into your room and close the door. And in fact, you know, the, the room, that, that's one thing, and people might come in and out. I want you to go in your closet and shut your closet door, to which many of us would say, well, Jesus, that would just be weird. Jesus, hold on. Because here's what I want you to do. Anybody can pray on the street corner. Anybody can pray in traffic. Anybody can stand on the side. In fact, anybody can get around their meal at Sunny's and just pray and pray and pray. And in fact, we're notorious for that. As Christians, you know, you got a table of like 15 people. You're all sitting down. They just you know, brought the pulled pork, and you're sitting there. And it's like, okay, time to pray. And you kind of look for someone who looks relatively solid in the center, in the center of the table because not everybody's going to be able to hear if you're on the outsides because you have to obviously hear the prayer for the prayer to count. And so, you know, you kind of pick the guy or the chick in the middle, kind of solid, the good prayer, you know, somewhat eloquent when they speak. And so everybody gets quiet and bows their head. You know, you hold your hands because for some reason that, like, substantiates prayer. It's like, oh, whoa, we didn't hold hands. Not a big deal. Or if you're really cool, you lace them. Anybody do the lace when they pray? Okay, you ought to try it. The, the Spirit works through lacing. Anyways, so, you know, you pray, and you're like, okay, God, Heavenly Father, you know, and half of you are peeking to see who else in the restaurant's looking at us. Like, okay, we're praying right now. Shh, sinners, sinners, shh, we're praying, you know, and you're just, oh, Father, and the third angel, you know, you just, you pray. He's like, come on, come on, come on. Here's the point, here's the point, here's the point. The point, the point of prayer, the point of prayer is that it's supposed to be intimate, it's supposed to be intimate. It's supposed to be between you and God. In fact, I love what he says at the end. He says, and your father who sees what you do will reward you. And here's what we would all do. Forgiving for the generosity part and for the prayer part. I'm telling you, if you don't hear anything else and you're a Christian, this could have the potential to change your relationship with God just in and of itself. Because the purpose of prayer was never to get what you wanted out of God. It was for you and God to have intimacy in your relationship. And when you pray by yourself in secret to your father, who I love the fact that he just says, by the way, it's unseen. So, you know, he's unseen. I understand it's going to be a little bit weird for you. What you and I would get to the conclusion, if we just did that for a week, was not that our reward would be that, you know, God, I just prayed for a Lambo and I got a Lambo. God, I just prayed and I woke up in a new Bugatti. God, I just prayed and I, you know, and I hit the Powerball lot. You know, God, now here, here's what we find out. For the first time maybe ever, when you prayed, your reward would be that your heavenly father, for the first time, feels intimate to you. 
Maybe ever. Or maybe just in a long time. Because prayer, prayer paves the way for intimacy in your relationship with God. And those intimate settings, those intimate times with God, are what your relationship with him is supposed to be like. And come on, can you pray anywhere? Absolutely. But you and I both of this, on a human level, you know the difference? Let's say you're, you're dating somebody. Let's say you're married to somebody. And there's the everyday hustle and bustle. What do you got going on today? What's your schedule today? What, you know, who's picking up the kids? What's going on? And then there's those times of intimacy. Those times where you sit and maybe you're at a campfire. Maybe you're on a long drive. Maybe you're on a date. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You shouldn't be on a date anymore, but that's another sermon, you know. But you're just sitting there and you're talking. And it's just this time. And you talk, and you talk, and you talk. And you've had a ton of conversations. But this one was an intimate conversation. This one had depth to it. This one had personalness to it. Because it was just you and that person, and it was open, and it was sharing, and it was intimate. And God would say, that's what I want your prayer life to be like. I want it to be personal. And yeah, you can pray anywhere. You can pray publicly. But let me just tell you, you ought to be praying with your door closed, in your closet, to your Father, who is unseen. And when you do that, he says, come on. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Don't think you're just going to pray for 45 minutes and God's going to be like, okay, for the first 15 minutes, I didn't think you were serious. But for the second 30, holy cow. He says, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Which I just love the fact that most of us would say, okay, well then what's the point of prayer? God, if you know everything before I ask you, then why do I pray in the first place? Which is a, a beautiful question. Because what you're going to realize is prayer, prayer isn't about you finding the secret combination to get what you want out of God in order to manipulate God. Prayer, prayer, prayer has always paved the way. It's always been about intimacy in your relationship with God. So he says, so pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. God, you are great. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God, your kingdom, your will, I have my list of wants, I have my list of needs, I have my list of desires. God, but before I get into any of that, your will be done. And so give us this day our daily bread. And when he said that, they internalized that completely different than we do. Because he was talking to a primarily Jewish audience who when they heard, give us this day our daily bread, they didn't think, okay, so this is the list of the things that I need. This is the test that I got going on. This is the issues that I had. This is the relational stuff. This is the stuff with my family. This is stuff with my coworker, my boss. I mean, holy cow. No, no, no. For them, when they heard that, that brought them back to when Moses was walking through the desert and every day the nation of Israel would walk and they would need God to provide their daily bread, their manna in order to survive for them this was a prayer this was a prayer this was an idea of dependence not need that god i'm dependent on you i am declaring my dependence on you for me to get through today and so forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. And so when you fast, kind of brings up the last subject. Here's, okay, so here's, here's the last subject. I know, you know, most of you, you know, you know generosity, you know, it's, it's an important part. For most of us, prayer, you know, obviously you were born and raised, that's an important part. But then he talks about fasting. And fasting is essentially taking anything in your life 
that you feel like is a very important, very critical part of your life and intentionally taking it out for a period of time to focus on God. For many people, it's food. Some people, it's social media. I mean, people, people fast from all kinds of different things. But basically, you take anything, you know, say, I'm not going to eat this type of food. I'm not going to take, you know, whatever. And for most of us, when we fast, it's right around, you know, right before Easter. When we're going through, you know, a, about a 40-day period that precedes it. And we, we fast because we're trying to lose weight. You know, I'm not going to eat any carbs. I'm so holy. It's like, or you're, anyways. He says, come on. And so when you fast, which ought to be a regular part of your relationship with God, when you fast, which you ought to do on some type of a regular basis, let me just tell you, for me, it works way better systematically than it does randomly. You ought to have a day of the week. You ought to have a day of the month. You ought to have a time of the month. You ought to have a time of the year. You ought to have some type of a regular systematic type of fasting in your life where you intentionally take something that you feel like is important or critical or that you're inconvenienced without and remove it for your life for the sole purpose of focusing on God, of praying to God, of asking of God to move and to work and to be glorified and for your intimacy with him. He says, but come on, when you do that, when you do that, don't be like the hypocrites. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward that everybody saw. He's like, come on. When you're fasting, when you're fasting, don't be like that weirdo that's like, oh, bro, I'm so hungry, but I'm fasting right now. You know, you're like walking to class like a cane poles or something. Cane poles you fish with, but I'm thinking, you know, crutches. Anyways, separate, separate, separate thing. But so he said, come on. When you're on that, when you're on that pathway, when you're fasting, when you're taking things intentionally in your life, come on, don't be a weirdo about it. Don't announce it to the crowds. Don't tell everybody. He says, here's what I want you to do. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who's, who's, who sees in secret will reward you. And here's the point what Jesus was getting at. As a Christian, as a Christian, your personal intimacy with God ought to be greater than your public reputation for God. Because many of us, to be honest, many of us, to be honest, if we were to tell people about who we are, and they were to have an honest look into our life, if they were to, have, if they were to be able to ask God about my relationship between me and God, or you and God, many of us, the reality is you have a public reputation to be for God that far exceeds your personal intimacy with God. As a leader, as a Christian, And here's the thing, the longer you've been a Christian, the higher up on the org chart of whatever organization you're a part of, the more solid everybody thinks you are, the more susceptible you are to this. This isn't something, by the way, for me, this isn't something for me that I look at and I say, okay, well, everybody else suffers from this, but I don't suffer from this because I'm the pastor. This is a constant, constant, constant examination of my life. This is a constant examination because I constantly fail at it. I constantly look and I say, hey, because almost of my vocation, because almost of my vocation, the fact that I speak, the bigger the audience grows, the bigger the platform grows, the more difficult this is. But come on, what if we were people who everyone who looked at, looked at us, and the closer that they got, 
they realized that my personal relationship with God so far exceeded my personal relationship with God, the character that that built, the integrity that that builds into my relationship with God so far exceeds anything that I say on stage, anything that you say when you're leading a Bible study, anything that you say when you're talking to your friend about Jesus, any reputation that you have, that they would look at you and they would look at me. And they would know. Or we wouldn't know internally that my personal relationship with God far exceeds, far exceeds my public reputation. Now, Jesus said this it was a really cool way in, in the book of Revelation. So yeah, we're going there right now. Some of you hear that and it's like, holy cow. So we're talking about dragons. What's the deal? So Revelation chapter 3, kind of to set the stage, we're going to just read one verse from it. This is Jesus. He's talking through a guy to John, and he was addressing a number of different churches. And as this one particular church, he was addressing an issue that was going on in this church, and they had this exact same problem. And this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to start about halfway down. Jesus looked at this group, looked at this church. He said this, I know your works. I know what you've done. I know what everyone sees. I know on the external, what everyone, the external motive, I understand that I see it. I see all the things that you've done for me. I've seen all the Bible study that you've led for me. I've seen all the times that you've given. I've seen all the times that you've served. And you have, and I think this is just such a beautiful, terrible, awesome, ugly description that so often, I think, describes me, and so I'm guessing describes many of us. He says this, you have the reputation of being alive. Everyone else sees you. Everyone else knows you. And everyone else sees that you are a Jesus, you are a God, you are alive, you are that type of a person. But, you are dead. So everyone else sees. I know you got a reputation, I understand that. I understand what everybody else sees. But I know, because I'm God. And I don't see what everybody else sees, I see your heart. And I know that everyone else has a reputation of you that you're alive. But I know inside you're dead. Let me ask you this. If God were to look in your heart, if God were to know what's going on in your life, which by the way he does, would he look at you and say, you have a reputation for being alive, but I know internally, spiritually, you're dead. This is the question that I started integrating a long time ago. And I ask myself consistently. Again, I ask myself consistently just because of the fact that I'm bad at it. And this is the way I ask it for myself. Has my public passion for God exceeded my personal intimacy with God? Has my public passion... Has my public reputation exceeded my personal devotion to God? And here's why I know that's true for many of us. Because I can't tell you the number of leaders that I've had conversations with that are leading ministries but struggling to have quiet times. I can tell you the number of leaders that I've talked to, the number of Christians that I've talked to, the number of people that you would look at and I would look at and say, I'm, you know, I'm solid, but came to me and we talked and we had a conversation. You just said, man, my prayer life's terrible. My time in the Word's terrible. I don't even remember the last time I fasted. Here's why. Because it's the temptation. 
of everybody who's a disciple to have an outward reputation of alive, but internally we're dead. An outward reputation, a public passion, a public reputation, of public desire and fervor for God, but internally be void. And I love what he says next. And this, this is just so fun about Jesus. Because oftentimes when Jesus would talk, and he was talking to people who didn't know him, kind of on the periphery, you know. It was kind of like, a, okay, so let me help to lead you and guide you. But for people who had decided to be disciples, and this is why this is important. People who had decided to be disciples, this is what he says next to do about it. This is like Jesus' application to the sermon. So it was like, okay, so step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do this. This is what he says, chapter three. He says, I know your works, I know your reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So here's the application. Here's what I want you to do about it. So wake up and strengthen what remains. I love that about God because it's not like a, okay, so, you know, spend two, like, two months praying about it and seeing what you could do and talk about it in the community. He said, no, 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 just wake up. Just wake up. Just wake up and realize that's a problem in your life. Wake up and realize that you have that tendency. Wake up and realize that you have that temptation. Wake up and realize that you have an issue right now going on in your life as a Christian, that you have this public reputation for being a Christian, but personally are dead on the inside spiritually. And I want you as a Christian to wake up because that's critical. And so I want you to strengthen that. Well, how do I strengthen that? Well, you're a Christian. You know how to strengthen that. You know what it means to have a personal relationship with God. You know what it means to be personal and intimate in prayer. You know what it means to be dedicated to his word. You know what it means dedicated to, be, to fasting. And I don't want you to do all that kind of stuff so you can change your profile pic and you can Instagram a pic of a cool coffee and an angular pen in your Bible with 35 things highlighted. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, they're speaking. No, 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 no. Well, here's what I'm telling you. Your personal relationship should so far exceed your public reputation, it's silly. And if you're not, if it's not, here's what to do. Wake up, realize it's a problem, and change it. Wake up, realize it's a problem, and change it. Strengthen it. That part that's dead, he would say before the whole thing dies. And this is the question that I ask all the time of myself. Has my public reputation for God exceeded my personal devotion to God? Has my public passion for God exceeded my personal devotion to God? Has my personal devotion, intimacy with God been neglected while my public passion and reputation has gone forward. And for many of us, as Christians, the answer is yes. So wake up and change it. Wake up and change it. Come on. If you're in here, you're kind of on the, again on the, on the you know, periphery of church, periphery of Christianity, trying to figure this whole thing out, wouldn't this, wouldn't this be different for you? Wouldn't it be different for you if everybody that you experienced that was a Christian had a personal depth, had a personal intimacy, and had a personal relationship with God that just far exceeded anything that was public. 
that you knew that maybe they you know, had some stuff, you knew that they had a righteousness, you knew that they were good people, but I mean, come on, as the closer that you got to them, the closer that you got to knowing them personally, you were just so impressed because you know that regardless of what was happening publicly, they had this personal devotion to God that you had just never seen before. They had this personal intimacy with God that you had just never seen before, that they were the type of people that they went and they, they helped people, but it wasn't about everybody knowing they were helping people. They went and they prayed, and when they prayed, it wasn't this big, you know, spectacular prayer. They went in the room. They closed the door. Let me just tell you again, I just want to drive this home. When you pray like that, when you pray like that, this is a type of prayer that for the longest time, maybe you spent your entire life, prayers just felt like they were bouncing off the walls, that you never felt like you were heard, that you heard of God, you heard of this transactional sense between you and God of Him forgiving you of your sins. But for the first time, perhaps ever, you feel like you're praying to your heavenly Father, who's intimate with you. And the closer you got to that person who's a Christian, you saw that. You saw that publicly they might be a Christian. But personally, wow. There was intimacy beyond what you ever thought was going to be there and what you thought was possible. That's what Jesus would say. Is when they see your light. That's what Jesus would say is when they see your good works. And they praise your Father in heaven. Not as you have this big public, but as you have this intimate, private, personal relationship and devotion to God, which will work itself out publicly, but is not driven by the public reputation. So I'll close with this question. Is your, is your public reputation as a Christian, I mean, come on, people know you, People know you're a Christian. Is your personal reputation as a Christian farther beyond your personal devotion to God? Is your public reputation, is your public passion exceeding your personal intimacy and your personal devotion to God? And if it is, wake up, realize it's a problem, and change it. Carve out whatever time, get rid of whatever unnecessariness, find the margins, invent the margins, get up earlier, stay up later, drink more coffee, I don't know. Do whatever you need to do. So that when people look at you, you know, when God looks at you, when you pray to God, you know that regardless of what happens publicly, personally, you have so much more than what anybody would see on the outside. Let's pray together.